And I think this is probably the most, um, I guess, hostile environment that you could probably play in, either here or Arrowhead. Um, so I'm excited for it. Um, all these all these guys have played here, you know, a bunch of times. So just hearing them out, what's good and what's not in terms of communication and operation. So um, we'll be ready to roll. They make it hard on you. You know, they don't. Uh... You know, they don't do too many crazy things. Uh, they just like to play hard and, and make it a physical style game. And, uh, you know, that's, that's going to be fun for us. You know, we get an opportunity the second time around to uh, see what we can do. Brock Purdy and Geno Smith got a year ago. <laughs> Who would have thought it? Who would have ever thought? I, you would have never. <laughs> we may have gotten to Geno Smith, right? We maybe. may have. Yeah, Although, yeah I yes. don't think in the offseason, maybe, yes, right. I don't think we would have expected the Seahawks to stand pat with Geno Smith. We would have expected them to trade for someone, draft someone, sign a veteran if Russell Wilson wasn't there. Saw Gene, but the Brock, thought we would have saw Drew Locke by this time of the year. I mean, yeah. in the offseason, oh, Geno's the starter. We'll see Drew Locke at some point. Not nah, squash that. That's not happening. Yeah. But the Brock Purdy side of it, just the world changes a lot. In 12 months, and uh, the show's PFT Live. We haven't changed, as far as we know, any time in the recent past. Although, the one big change this year, we're presented by Google Pixel. Learn more at googlestore.com. Hello to the audience enjoying the program or otherwise on Peacock, Series XM85, Sky Sports NFL, and podcasts. Anywhere that you get them. I don't know where you get them, but wherever you get them, that's where we are. And here we are, Week 15. This is one of those games that a few weeks ago looked really good, but as the Seahawks have begun to, and it really started for them that game in Germany early to mid-November right. when they lost to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, that's when it started to fall apart for the Seahawks, and they're barely above five hundred. They are seeing their playoff hopes possibly become dashed, and their division championship chances will be done tonight if they lose this game, and... You know, the only thing they have going for them is they're playing it at home, and they know the opponent well. Pete Carroll knows Kyle Shanahan well. Maybe they can muster something. Maybe just for one night they can pull it all together. We've seen that happen before in a primetime big spot. Maybe they can just reverse the narrative and turn things their way. Although, if you can't stop the run and the other team can run the ball very well, I yeah, think it's that's an be, issue. It's going to be hard. Right. It's going to be very hard. It, it is going to be hard. But, again, the status of Brock Purdy, right? I mean, again, it doesn't seem like even if he does play, it's not going to be 100% Brock Purdy. And you said it right. And, you know, we heard Brock Purdy even talk about it in the, the little opening of the show there. It is an environment that's unlike any other when you go up there. So it is da- daunting. And for a rookie quarterback who hasn't been in that situation, that'll be an adjustment. I can't imagine him just hitting on all cylinders early on in the football game. So maybe the Seahawks can jump out on them early then. But, I mean, you're saying it right. I mean, we know the star of the show is the 49ers. The Seahawks are playing with house money. I mean, it, it's almost like my New York Giants. It's, hey, they're 7-6. and six. This is great. Yeah, it's okay. Maybe falling apart a little bit here, but... Uh, did did you ever think you were going to be seven and six at any point during this year, Seattle Seahawks fans? Probably not. I think most realistic ones didn't. So, I mean, it's been an awesome ride, and Geno Smith, of course, has been a huge part of that. But this is a different test. This is a team that's 
wants to bludgeon you on both sides of the football. And it's not about the air attack and we're going to be pretty and do all of that. It's going to be, like you said, smash mouth football and a bunch of different creative ways to run the ball. And then a defense that, as Gino said, is not overly complicated. There's always a little few splash creative plays, but we talk about it all the time. They're big. They fly around. They never mess up. They understand where they're vulnerable, and that's why the 49ers are awesome. And it's just a, another look at them tonight to see if they can continue this way with Brock Purdy and us going, damn, like, all right, they're back in the Super Bowl conversation with this guy that we've never heard of at quarterback. And, and that, that's where it's, it's a fascinating story tonight watching this game. 49ers won the first game between these two teams yeah. way back in week two, 27-7. That was the game during which Trey Lance suffered the ankle injury that knocked him out for the season and put Jimmy Garoppolo into the fray. And now it is Brock Purdy officially listed as questionable with an oblique injury. Rib has been mentioned from time to time. It happened second drive of the game on Sunday against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He was diving for the sticks on a third and 11 scramble, played the rest of the game with it. And I, you know, I don't know, does Dr. Needle make an appearance in the locker room before the game? I don't know what they do to manage the pain and the discomfort, but he, he played through it. I mean, look, this guy has gotten an opportunity that he never thought he was going to have, especially not this quickly. The last thing he's going to do is let some pain and discomfort derail it. He's going to go out there, I think, and play. And I think once he gets going and once he gets heated up, yeah, that's the I key. Mean, I know Mike, it hurts, right? Yeah, but he's going to he'll find a, he'll right. find a way to to fight through it. And uh, uh, I, I think that the, they will have game planned accordingly to account for the fact that he may not be able to throw the ball as far down the field as they would like. And they otherwise have Christian McCaffrey, who had a great game, quietly had his best game as a member of the 49ers. And the defense is healthy. It's a short week. uh, But uh, this is, uh, I think, an opportunity for the 49ers to let everyone, everyone know that they are one of the elite teams in the NFL. And, you know, as they keep winning, like there was a point where those four losses were kind of glaring. Like how do we regard them as such a great team when they're four and four or whatever their record was, or even when they were below 500 at one point, how do we, and they keep winning and everybody else is fading back to them. And all of a sudden the record matches what we regard the 49ers to be, which truly is one of the best teams in the NFL. I look forward to watching them and only them tonight to see you know, what we really have here, is this a team that can go to Philadelphia and win next month? We both think it is, but it'll, it'll be interesting to see how they do under that spotlight. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's dangerous. I mean, we know that. The one thing we know with Seattle is their big play, and that, that's what the way they are on both sides of the football. I mean, the, the receivers are phenomenal. You know, the, the addition of, of uh, Godwin, or Good, Goodwin, yeah, Godwin, right? Yeah, Goodwin. I always get him in the, I don't know why. Uh, Marquise Goodwin, excuse me, along with Lockett and DK Metcalf, gives them some serious firepower at receiver. It does, and they're capable. They're one of the biggest play pass offenses in football. You know, the Kenneth Walker thing at running back, uh, that stinks for them because that's another element that makes them, we can score from anywhere on the football field, and you got to worry about the run a little bit. So that hurts them, no question. He's back. He's good. He's so off that, the injury that, report. That's, that's awesome. Walker's good to go. That gives them a yeah. chance. I mean, it gives them a chance. Again, that, he's the kind of guy that against a guy team like the 49ers, we throw a screen over here, and he goes 70 yards up the sideline, and now it's first and goal at the four-yard line. And those are the kind of plays that – you know, you don't see people make a whole lot on the, the 49ers, but they have some guys on this football team that can do that. So that's where you give them a fighting chance. 
Then, to your point, they're desperate a little bit. And then their defense, which is not very good, to be nice. Right? We saw last week the Carolina Panthers ran the ball 46 times and were patient and controlled the ball, and that's what scares you tonight is that the 49ers are going to do that same thing. And the 49ers run games better than the Panthers, and they got McCaffrey like you talked about. Stinks they don't have Debo Samuel, but, yeah, they're going to have to rely on that. You know, The Seahawks, they're about creating chaos, Mike, and they want to get a turnover or a fumble. They know they're going to get up yards and points. So they're really all about trying to just give their offense one more possession, and that'll be kind of the key to the game to see if they can kind of force Brock Purdy and that offense to mess up once or twice and keep themselves in it. You mentioned Ken Walker. Once he began to emerge, it yeah. was a little bit more and a little bit more. Remember, he had some sort of a procedure. It wasn't a hernia. It was a hernia, right. whatever it was. Right. It slowed him down, and he was doing better and better. I'm looking at his per-game numbers here. He went from 10 to 19 to 29 to 88 to 97 to 167. That was the high watermark in Week 7 against the L.A. Chargers. And I thought this guy was just going to have 200 yards yeah. sooner rather than later. He started to fall off after that, though. Against the Giants, he had 51. Against the Cardinals, 109. They went to Munich, and he had only 17 yards on 10 carries. And he's really struggled to reestablish himself since then. We last saw him week 13 against the Rams. He had only 36 rushing yards on three attempts, which is kind of weird. But uh, I probably got injured early in that game to be limited to so few attempts. But he's back. He's good to go. But I feel like he's kind of – I don't know if it's rookie wall. Yeah, I don't know right. if it's minor injuries that become a major problem. But, he, this hey, this is his chance, prime time. This is his opportunity to introduce himself to a nationally televised audience. And, uh, and, and again, as you said, you know, some teams slip into desperation mode. Yeah, yeah. It's basically a playoff game. Like, if we don't win this one, we're not getting in. We have to go empty the tank because this is it. This is a playoff game for us, or we're not going to have a playoff game. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's kind of the way they got to approach it here. I, you have to approach it this way and hope you can steal one against a division rival and a team like you know, you know that you're very familiar with. And Pete Carroll has given Shanahan some fits. He has, but. You know, the, the other problem with Seattle is the fact that you know, next week's Kansas City, and then the week after that's the New York Jets. So they're really staring down the barrel of a little bit of, like, desperation. we got to try to, you know, steal one of these games against a team that's better than us, you know, plain and simple. And that's where, you know, trick plays. I wouldn't be shocked to see that tonight. And like I said, a defense that's going to fly around. The Kenneth Walker thing is going to be interesting for sure, Mike. You're right about that too. You know, I think the big thing with them, and we kind of discussed it a little bit when he was kind of going off and having some of those unbelievable runs that, you know, yeah, hey, we saw the highlights, but there were so many runs, if you remember, where I kind of talked, I was just like, there was nothing there, and he got 20 yards. I don't think it's a great offensive lineup here in Seattle, you know, yet. It's got some young guys that, that got a bright future. But they're, they're not there yet, and that's where this will be a test tonight. Just to, can they protect Geno against a pass rush that's really started to you know, come along here, and we know they're so sound in the back end and the linebackers and all that. And then can they open up any running lanes? And the 49ers defense, again, it's, it's, it's having a phenomenal year, and they don't let you run or throw all that easy. And, and I would think things are going to be tough on Seattle tonight. Brock Purdy became the first quarterback to beat Tom Brady while playing in his first career start on Sunday. Here's a little Brock Purdy 
from yesterday regarding his second start coming on both a short week and in prime time. Have a listen. I feel like this is part of the game. A lot of the guys have said, you know, welcome to the NFL, you know, in terms of you get banged up a little bit. You got to be ready to roll in four days. You got to learn another install. You got to memorize plays. You got to get guys going around you. Um, so, I mean, this is it. This is, you know, the best of the best. And for me, I look at it as a challenge. Like, I can prove to myself that, you know, I, I belong here and I can play here and I can do all these things, the challenges of, you know, being banged up and having to go out and perform. And uh, especially in a crucial part of the season where, you know, it's going to take what it takes, you know. There's no uh, no regrets, you know, moving forward or anything like that that I want to have down the road. I want to make sure that I give everything I have right now. And so it's a great challenge for myself. He's been getting a lot of praise from teammates, the way he's stepped up, the way he's come in, the way he's gotten it done, the way he's exerted leadership and accountability, right. all the things you want to see in an NFL quarterback. And it's kind of fun to see. It's one of those unexpected stories. I Look, I, I, I had belief in any quarterback that knows the system running that Shanahan offense, but I still think Purdy as a passer, as a leader, as a quarterback has been better than we would have expected. Definitely. And I'm sure other That's teams right. are like, what the hell? Like, again, why did this guy last until the very final pick in the draft? What the hell did we miss here? The Steelers took a flyer on a seventh-round quarterback who I can't even remember his name. And I know that folks up in Pittsburgh now are like, wait a minute, we could have had this Brock Purdy guy. Now, they, they had Kenny Pickett, but, of course, Pickett's got a concussion, and it's like, hey, we could have had this guy, too. Like, man, we, I, I, there's a lot of that. We could have had this guy going around in NFL circles because everybody could have had him multiple times over, and he walks right through the door, and he ends up being pretty damn good. Yeah, I mean, like, it, it's, it's amazing. It is. I mean, you know, I sit there and watch him at the press conference, and I go, I don't know. Damn, is that guy dating my daughter? Is he in high school? I, it's just, it's amazing. It's a, a, a young kid still, and I don't mean that to be disrespectful. I mean it to be... Just, you know, funny. I just can't get over it. The way he talks. I he he dressed like a college kid still here. And, oh yeah, I'm just leading the Super Bowl contender San Francisco 49ers on a late season charge here. It just it's hilarious. It really is. And you know, Mike, to your point, yeah, I'm sure there are a lot of teams that are are scratching their head a little bit. Uh, but he <laughs> looks like he looks like they just pulled him out of Mr. Anderson's history. Right. Class. Exactly. And he's like, you know, we we we've we've been hearing some rumors that you've been throwing food at lunch. You know, <laughs> got to go down to the got to go down to the principal and talk to him. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing. It really is. Uh, but yeah, he's played very mature on the football field. You know, we've discussed he's seasoned a little bit for a young quarterback with how much he played at Iowa State, and they're uh, they're a well-coached football team at Iowa State, so he knows what he's doing. You know, it's kind of a pro-style offense. And, Mike, you know what happens, too, with teams is it gets late in the draft, and they draft guys that maybe have one element of, like, oh, wait, I see something great with that potential there, or maybe we can make him something. Where Purdy might not have had that element – but teams like the 49ers go, wait, we're good, and we're, we don't need a guy to be, like, maybe special three years from now and, you know, oh, he's got a rocket arm, but we got to kind of corral him and, and groom him and get his mechanics the right way. They just, because they have a great team and because they have Shanahan in the system that you alluded to, that gives them the, oh, we, we just want a guy that can kind of play the position. We don't need to be wowed.
My offense is wow, and it'll get the guys open as long as they can do what I tell them to do, and you know they're smart and understand that. Then he'll look like wow, even though his physical ability is not wow. And I think that's where you know some of the better teams in football that have a real system that's you know tried and true there. They can get away with that type of quarterback. We've seen New England take that approach, right? It, it's teams that have big time systems where they know they don't have to quarterback and, and going to have to make the play that way. And I think that's where Shanahan's very good at picking these type of guys. It is going to be a challenge for Geno Smith and company. It fell off a little bit for him yeah. last week. He had two interceptions. He was under 60% completion percentage. That was the first time all year. He right. still leads the NFL with 71.5 completion percentage and 25 passing touchdowns that's fourth in the NFL but number one in completion percentage so uh this is an opportunity for him to get a little redemption but it comes against a pretty damn good defense 10.7 points per uh, points allowed per game during a six-game winning streak by the the 49ers hey, man, that defense is just yeah incredible Nick Bosa leads the league along with Matthew Judon with 14 and a half sacks and Bosa's unstoppable the defense is good at every level and and that that's what that's what plays well and travels well and wins games come January and that that unit is firing on every possible cylinder, Chris. Yeah, it really is, and it's you know they're they're awesome at all at all levels, and then they're well coached to go along with it. And like we're watching here, they don't need to get four. They don't need to blitz. Here's four guys rushing. I would love to even show that tape again if we can, guys, just real quick. And then you just the thing I want you know Mike to, to recognize yeah the pass rush is good, but like watch when we start this pack get back again and you see the first play like look at downfield the coverage look how good they are at passing things off and having everybody blanketed it up look at that there's nowhere then you got a pass rush here Tom Brady here again look you know oh wait now finally somebody's open but I got somebody hanging on my leg and I got to throw it and oh man okay. So that's what they do to you. Here again, look at how they're just just—they're very good at understanding what you're trying to do according to the formation, and then they're great at reading your routes on the run where, like, they've been taught, hey, if this guy goes underneath, that guy might be going over the top. So they're always ready for it. And that's where their defense just it, it matches up in a magical way there where it's just, hey, a ferocious pass rush, and, oh, wait, I think somebody's open. Oh, no, they passed him off the right way. He's not open, and they they confuse you mentally, and then they're awesome physically, and that's where you know they're the number one defense and doing things like you just talked about with those stats. So if the Seahawks were able to pull this one off tonight, if we're talking about this tomorrow, although we won't be because you'll be in your hammock with your – Pina coladas. Pina colada and <laughs> bong. But uh, – <laughs> I, I, but by the way, for whatever reason, for whatever reason, yeah. I'm hearing that on Sky, they are bleeping any references to your favorite hobby. They're very strict football. over there with that subject, I've been told. But but, but the, the S-bombs that you let fly from time to time, not that I ever do that I can recall, they make it through. But... Any I like and all that. references yes. to the wacky tabacky, as they called it once, right, a long time ago. That that uh, that ends up getting bleeped. So. I've had a few anyway. people tell me that. I actually, funny story, just because you've taken me down this road. I have a, a, a neighbor who 
is aware of our show, and they live in London, you know, for a good part of the year. He's like a banker, which is most of Greenwich, right? And he had kind of told me about that, you know, that it's very strict over there, and I wonder what happens over there when you make some references to it, and are they bleeping it out? And I didn't know what to tell him. But he would he thought that they might be, and it's just interesting that you're bringing that up now because uh, it'd been thrown on my radar before too. Yeah, no, somebody <laughs> there it is. Somebody somebody emailed me about it just yesterday. That for whatever reason, whenever you mention weed, it gets bleeped out, and it probably just got bleeped out when I look at that. Now they're bleeping out that great picture. Stuff. Look at that great. Now they're picture. gonna have to they're gonna have to blur the entire <laughs> the side whole of the screen. screen. <laughs> Kristen's like, doing to somebody be. else that she doesn't like when they do to her. Look, uh, somebody's got to blur something now, Kristen. We're gonna be. <laughs> preempted today for uh, ping pong or darts or something. Uh, it's, people are going to be texting me and emailing me this afternoon. Where's your show today? Yeah. Well, that cricket that on. last two what minutes happened? is exactly right. why <laughs> cricket crickets in uh, more ways than one. Okay, so uh, you were saying something that they were going to pull it off and if Gino oh, and them and yeah. Well, well, I mean, if if we that's right, that's right. right. That's how I started down that rabbit right. hole. If we were to be talking about this tomorrow, and it will be that the Seahawks won the game, what would it be that went their way? Would it have to be a, was it just a fluke where there's bad calls, turnovers, people doing dumb stuff? How do the Seahawks win this game? I, I think that I, I, I look at it like two things. Ex- explosive plays like they're going to, you know, I, I, you're, I don't think they're going to be able to go. I, we drove down the field three or four times on a 10 play 75 yard drive on the 49ers. Right. I don't see that happening. You might get one drive like that, maybe even two, but it'll be hard work. So there's got to be a, a drive or two where, hey, they ripped off a 50 yard play that you don't see very much against the 49er defense. I think there's got to be a few of those tonight. And then a, uh, uh, an offensive mistake somehow, whether that's Brock Purdy, like last week. Hey, think about the first play of the game. He didn't see the safety blitz. Keanu O'Neal crushed him. He got lucky and held on to the ball, and Keanu O'Neal got the personal foul for hitting him with the crowd in the helmet, if you remember. They need something like that where, oh, they tricked the young guy. He didn't know it. They hit him. He fumbled. Uh, something of that nature. I would think they need a little bit of both there to, to pull off this one tonight, even with a less than Brock Purdy. Because like you discussed, they're, they're just the 49ers, the D, the way they run the football, that, it's scary for Seattle that way. There was a time five, six years ago as we were preparing to see a Seahawks game on a Thursday night. I think it was 2016. I think it was Jared Goff's rookie year because he got rocked that night uh, by Richard Sherman. I think that was the poop fest game when Richard Sherman, who – all of a sudden has no problem with Thursday Night Football whatsoever. That's a different story altogether. But there was that assault from him on the entire concept of playing on a short week. And I mentioned that because Bruce Irvin, who's back with the Seahawks, he said, I can't believe this. I'm still sore. He had a tweet to that effect yesterday. And that's, that's look, it's not going anywhere. And again, for every player that complains about it, there's a player or more, two or three maybe, who are just kind of quietly saying, you know what? I feel okay, and I like the fact that we don't have a full-blown work week, and I like the fact that we got a mini-buy on the back end. Yeah. So I'll allow others to call it a poop fest while I just kind of enjoy what will be, yeah, not easy, 
but there's a payoff on the back end, and it's a little easier on the front end. Yeah, it, 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 I mean, you're right, and there is that element in the locker room. And I would say, for the most part, the guys that think the second way that you're talking about, that are like, oh, I had the short week, I like, it's usually the younger guys, right? The younger guys, yeah. You know, you've only been in football for a year or two, and you don't have, you know, the wear and tear that the guy in year eight or nine or 10 or 11, like Bruce Irvin, who's up there going, yeah, no, no, my body's been in a, a lot more car crashes than you, you. I've been around for a long time. I was here with the Legion of Boom, in the prime of the Legion of Boom, and I'm still here, and we're nowhere near the Legion of Boom anymore. So that, I think that's the disconnect in the locker room, uh, and that's where it's tough. And, again, to, to something that we discuss all the time, uh, it, it's just one where I wish that the NFL could find a different remedy for this. I love Thursday night football. But I think we're smart enough and at a place where I, I, I wish they could find a way to where they didn't play last Sunday and they had 12 or 11 days here to get ready for this Thursday night football game and, you know, player safety and all that can be in a better spot. I just think I would love to see the NFL try to make those adjustments. That was an issue earlier this year, I think, the Tua Tonga-Vailoa situation because he was cleared to reenter the game on a Sunday, and then they played in Cincinnati on a Thursday, and he suffered the concussion that resulted in a stretcher and hospitalization temporarily. I, I you know, we, We've kicked around some ideas, and it wouldn't be easy, but there is a way, if you really want to do it, to eliminate that, that short turnaround. Yeah while also having Thursday night primetime games every single week. You may have to sacrifice some early season Thursday night games to make it happen. You always have teams coming off of their bye weeks. That's the, that's the formula. Have teams coming off of their bye that's weeks right. playing those games. But you know what? The other side of it, too, there may be some teams that say, I want my full two weeks. I don't want to do – Yeah, I know. Like, I want my two weeks and I want my mini bye at some other point of the season. I don't want to pack together – a three-week window where I play one game, you know, on a Thursday, a week and a half in, and then have another week and a half after. That. I hear you. I'd rather do two full weeks, and I'd rather do well mini buy. That's later what they gotta. The yeah, that's the what the players end. would need to figure out. What's more important? Do they want you know a little, a few extra days away from the facility, or do they want their body to be really sore on a Thursday evening game? And, that's, that's, and here's the problem. Yeah. Here's the problem. When you're talking about negotiations between labor and management, you've got management saying everything's fine. It's fine. We're fine. Injury rates are the same. You know, whatever talking point they have to put out there to defend what it is that they're doing, and they always have a talking point. They always have a statistic. They can get massaged whatever way they want to massage it to support what it is they want to do. So that's one side of the table. On the other side of the table, you need a coalesced, unified front where you say this is what we want and they don't have that they just don't because yeah. i really do think for every guy that hates it there are guys that quietly like it and you're never going to get enough of the players to rise up and stand together and say right this has to change yeah it's tough it's going to be a talking point once a season and then it's, <laughs> it's just it's going it to away to be part of the sport it's just part of the sport it's part of what you sign up for that's yeah. what guys would say but they, they also know they gain nothing by standing up being the defender of Thursday night football because then they have their teammates who don't like it who would be mad at them or players on other teams who don't like it who would be mad at them. So the ones who like it don't say anything about it. Good luck getting enough of a union yeah. 
That's sense the problem. And presence and yeah. fight to to change it because the NFL don't want to change it. No, the NFL don't want the, the scheduling process is complicated enough. They don't want to complicate it even more with this idea that you're going to have bye weeks before every Thursday night game. And if not enough players want it, it's just never going to happen. I yeah. mean, that's the thing. There's certain things you just have to accept. Right. I got you. It's I got pulled you. out this time of year. Right. Well, I, I was uh, maybe we get to we the point. It. Maybe we get to the point someday where it's you know the game you play on a Tuesday the week before and then you play on Thursday, right? And well, like that, because, hey, that, hey. That, that, that's what I know we've discussed that and that would be awesome. I think Tuesday and Wednesday is on the table at some point. Uh, nothing would would move that along more quickly than another professional football league deciding to try to take over Tuesday and Wednesday nights. That would quickly result in regular NFL games on Tuesday and thir- or Tuesday and Wednesday. But I, that, that's the thing. You can space it out. Uh, so you go seven days between games. And then, you, you know, you, you can – or eight days. Right. You go from Tuesday to Wednesday and then Wednesday to Thursday. And there's, there's ways to do it to eliminate the yeah. four days. But yeah. for now, the four days is here. And the four days is going nowhere until the union is, is sufficiently adamant about getting rid of the four days. And they haven't been. They haven't because – they make a, a ton a, of money. A ton of money. Yeah, they're making a billion dollars a year right. off of Amazon for this, and the union roughly gets half of it. Hey, All right, I, I want to go. Uh, oh, go I, I was going to ask you something about the game, just to go back to that real quick, if you don't mind, because one of the things that I, I do think we need to highlight. Oh, I don't mind. Right. I don't mind. Hey, sir. you don't mind. You don't mind talking about the game. That's that's our job, and we we we're going to watch tonight. I just but, think it's being awfully polite <laughs> if you don't mind. If you don't mind, uh, but uh, the one thing I'm, I'm I'm extremely excited about tonight is. The amount of like studs on the field. There's like some super freaks out there tonight. And then the first guy I, w- I want to ask you about, just to get your thoughts, and we you know could start off a conversation. Nick Bosa. You know, if you had to vote for like defensive player of the year right now, who 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 are you voting for in the NFL? Uh, I I know it's him, Micah Parsons. Um, who else am I missing as far as in that conversation right now? There's somebody else that's pretty obvious. Uh, and I know Matthew- oh, Aaron Donald. But but the, it that's feels like happening. that's yeah. starting to yeah. right. You know Matthew Judon, but like right now, I think it just feels like we're talking about Nick Bosa and Micah Parsons in a head-to-head matchup here down the stretch for who impresses us the most, and whoever does that's going to win NFL you know Defensive Player of the Year award. And Nick Bosa has patiently awaited his second contract. I didn't think he would do that. I didn't think because, so either. Uh, he, Joey. Joey drove a very hard bargain on the way in. Remember, right. he held out for almost all of training camp in the preseason when he was a rookie. And then he got his second contract without having to make much noise whatsoever because they knew what they were dealing with, a guy who was very attuned to the business realities and willing to do whatever he had to do. And yep. and Nick, Nick, uh, you know, a guy who's lost a season to a torn ACL yeah. and has had plenty of injuries. I'm surprised he hasn't drawn that line in the sand and said, F you pay me one of the – Great lines from Goodfellas, but uh, and repeatedly saying "f you pay me," but yeah. uh, he might be maybe after the season. Right, right. I think after the season, I have to get him taken care of. And, yeah, and you know he's he's rolled the dice by going forward, and he's had a year where he steps up a level, and that defense can't function without him. But but yeah, and and again that that gets back to my broader big picture point on the 49ers. Yeah, they've got that nucleus of guys that they have to keep healthy. Yeah, and if right. you don't. You lose twenty eight fourteen to the Falcons. Yeah, that's I that's what they have to manage to do. And we're talking about four more weeks of the regular season, four weeks of the postseason, unless they somehow steal the one seed, which isn't going to happen. So they got eight games left to hold this thing together and keep their best players on the field in order to get what they're trying to get. And you know what, Chris? Even though, even though 
I look at them and say this is a potential Super Bowl winner, I still think it's a bit of a long shot to think they are going to hold all these guys together through all these intense late regular season and postseason games. They may get to a game where they're stretched a little thin. Yeah. And somebody else is going to have to step up and be the badass for a day. Yeah, I, I hear you. You know, and that's where you know you hope the the depth of the football team, and you know they've shown that you know they got pretty good depth. That, but but the the guys that you know you're talking about the nucleus, it's it's they embody the 49ers and and everything we've talked about with them and the no hesitation and we just fly around and coach says run through a brick wall and I don't even think about it. I run through a brick wall. That's the way we play football. And, yeah, it does seem like the 49ers are a little more reliant, you know, on their superstar nucleus because they play such important positions to their scheme, too. So that's where it seems like it's a little more important to them than maybe other teams when they lose a star. And it's hard to almost put your finger on it on why that is. But, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a team that's got studs across the board, and we don't even have Javon Kinlaw back. And that's where, you know, when you talk about Nick Bosa tonight – Two rookie tackles? Got to deal with Nick Bosa? Uh, you know, he's tied for the league lead in sacks right now, and, and you know, it, it's, it's a good, there's a good chance tonight we come out of the game and he's, he's got 17 and a half sacks. He's got 14 and a half right now. I wouldn't be shocked to see him get two or three. But it is one of the things where you talk about between Bosa and Fred Warner and Eric Armstead, and, of course, then you get onto their offensive players with McCaffrey and Ayuk and Kittle and, and that group. And we got no Debo Samuel tonight. And then you talk about some of the guys on the Seahawks, whether it's Kenneth Walker and the, the receivers or Tariq Woolen, who looks like he could be rookie defensive player of the year. I mean. No, no. Yeah, Sauce pro- Gardner's. Yeah, they Sauce, put Sauce Gardner's name right. on that play. This, this guy is, is every bit, is, is in, in, in some ways, got more physical ability than Sauce Gardner. Let me just say that. This guy is freak show. That's one guy I want people to watch tonight. And that's where the game is fun, too, in the fact that we know the 49ers are better, but Seattle has five or six guys that can, as we talk about a lot, Mike, right, go above and beyond, do more than the realm of the scheme, where you can go, whoa, they didn't block anybody, but Kenneth Walker ran down the sidelines for 70 yards, or, whoa, that... You know, Metcalf wasn't really open, but he caught a slant and broke a tackle, and all of a sudden he got an 80-yard gain, and, whoa, we got a ball game here. So that's why I think the game can be fun tonight, too, because the Seahawks have some guys that can individually do some unbelievably athletic stuff to, to maybe keep them in the game. You know, we've gone 35 minutes or so, and that's the first mention of DK Metcalf, and I just feel like... Now, now, look, I I had major concerns that he was going to be completely wasted post-Russell Wilson. He yeah. hasn't been. But he only has two 100-yard receiving right. games all year long. He had one against the Rams in that victory. He had eight catches on eight targets for 127 yards. He had one back in week four against the Lions, that 48-45 barn burner. He had seven catches for 149 yards. Other than that, yeah. he has not had a triple-digit day. And for what you're paying him, you just would like to think that there's going to be more than what we've seen so far from DK Metcalf. He is on a decent pace. He may not get to 1,300 yards. 1,303 is his career high from 2020. He's at 869 with four games to go on 72 catches. He should have a career high in catches. But um, 
I, it's just it's not as many still, explosive highlight plays as we've right. must be and, seen. And right. The, the the whole idea of what are they doing to scheme him to be in a position where he has the ball in his hands. Get the ball in his hands. Don't just run down the field. We've talked about this before. It can't just be go get open. Yeah. It's here's a quick bubble screen. Here's a jet sweep. Here's that little touch pass where the quarterback's in shotgun and the guy comes across the formation and the snap comes and you just pop it to him and off goes DK Metcalf. Right. But, you know, again, they're paying him big money and they're not using him the way that, that maybe they could or maybe they should. He's still. I mean, it's not like he's he's gone missing. No, I hear but you. But it's not the kind of impact that you would expect. It's got to drive him crazy because... You know, uh, I mean, if Tyreek Hill was going to be upset about his targets last year in Kansas City when he had a career-high number of targets, you know, 110 so far this year for D.K. Metcalf, and he could end up with a career-high targets. Yeah. Uh, But he's not going to have career-high yardage, and he's probably not going to have a career-high touchdowns. He's got six. His career-high last year came with 12. He had 10 the year before that. It's just just not – again, he's a freak athlete. He's incredible. But – like, when are we going to see a 150-yard game, a 170-yard game, a 200-yard game out of a guy who's capable of doing it? And when are they just going to get the ball to him consistently where he's elevating that offense? And uh, tonight, not going to be easy. No. As you said, Nick, Nick Bosa is going to be chasing around Geno Smith. You gotta, I think it's as simple as you better hope Ken Walker's running the ball early to take some of the steam out of the pass rush to open up play action and let Geno Smith get the ball down the field that way. It's simple. Yeah. It's cliche. Sure. It's effective. Yeah, it's all right. I mean, it's, 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 it's a formula that's worked through, you know, all of time when it comes to football. And yeah, and then that slows down the pass rush a little bit. And makes Nick Bosa and stuff go, oh, wait, did he hand it off? Oh, now I start the pass rush back again. You know, those are great advantages you can give your, your offensive line. Um, you know, but, but your, your thoughts on DK Metcalf, Mike, and, and, and I mean, I'm, I hear what you're saying there. You know, it, it's, it's one, he's got to share the ball with Tyler Lockett, who's a number one receiver, too. That hurts them a little bit. I think the other thing that's probably hurt him as far as big plays are concerned a little too is it's a it's a it's an offense that I think most teams go, well, they're not that good at running the ball. Like we're not worried about their O line like bludgeoning us and doing that. We gotta worry about Kenneth Walker because he can do some extraordinary things, but it's not the type of like run game where it's like seven up the middle, eight up the middle, six up the middle, twenty-five up the middle. It's not that. So they're not like a machine or dominant that way. And I think because of that, teams are aware of like, wait, the one way they can beat us is the big play in the pass game. Geno throws it deep. So I think teams have played a little bit more conservatively, keep them in front of us type of defense to a degree. And then the other thing with Metcalf, Mike, is uh, he's a size receiver. He's, he's the biggest receiver in football. And uh, sometimes I feel like not necessarily sure they throw him enough size routes, is if that makes sense. They just ask him to do a lot of the same stuff that Tyler Lockett's doing. And you just go, well, yeah, but it's a different human being. And you got to have a, a little bit of a different route tree and some concepts that make sense for him. You know, I think about a guy like Michael Irvin. He was a big receiver. What was he famous for, right, Mike? That, like, skinny post, right, where he would box the guy out, and any time they got single safety and it was man-to-man, Troy would look over here, and he was going to throw the 15-yard skinny post to Michael Irvin because he was big, and even if he was covered, he was going to box that guy out and get him the ball. And that, to me, is where they don't maybe use him enough in, in that element. The, bang eight. The old there you bang go. Eight, Look at you there slugger that's exactly right the old bang eight but that that's 
that's where I feel like sometimes they don't use them in that manner quite enough. Or the back shoulders. You see DeAndre Hopkins, when they get man-to-man, they just go, hey, we'll throw him a back shoulder. He's big. He'll know how to use his body, and he'll catch the ball. They don't do a ton of that stuff. And that's where I think he would thrive and maybe make some more plays to, to the point you're trying to make. You know, the Vikings drafted Laquan Treadwell in the first round in 2016 with the idea that Norv Turner, who was the offensive coordinator of the Vikings at the time, previously with the Cowboys, would would feature him in the bang eight. That that would be his play, and it never quite worked out. And I think Treadwell is currently, to bring it all together, he's currently on the practice squad in Seattle, I believe, and he's been activated in the not-too-distant past. I think you're right. Yeah, he has. My own edification yeah. here. Where is – there he is, Laquan Treadwell, yeah, he's number there. 18, on the practice right. squad. 6'2", 215, another larger guy, big, bigger body, but DK even larger than that. And uh, maybe he'll have a big night tonight. He'll go off in prime time. Um, back to a point you were making earlier. You were at a loss for the name of another defensive freak. I mean, my God, the guy that – that you peg every year as the eventual defensive player of the year, Miles Garrett. You left him. Oh, out. that's I'm exactly right. That's who it is. You're exactly. I knew I was missing somebody. I was like, somebody else has been awesome, and I'm I'm forgetting this. Miles Garrett. You're right. That would be another guy you'd you throw in that conversation. But as we know, with most awards, right, it comes down to the guys that have the best stats along with the best unit or team they're on, and that's where. You know, it feels like it's a Micah Parsons, Nick Bosa race here to the finish, and uh, they're both going to have some primetime games here to where, you know, we'll get to see them, and I think it'll go a long way to, to swaying some votes. One other item before we take our first break of the day. This was announced yesterday by the Arizona Cardinals. General Manager Steve Kime takes a leave of absence for health reasons, and I saw some discussion on Twitter among beat writers that NFL media reported it as an indefinite. Well, indefinite has kind of a weird vibe to it, but it is indefinite. They didn't say when he's coming back. He's taking a leave of absence for health reasons, and I think it's fair to infer that it is indefinite because they haven't said how long it's going to last. So we don't know anything more than that. There hasn't been any further reporting, no further announcement. We'll take it for what it is for now, uh, and we wish the best to Steve Kime, and hopefully whatever health reason is causing him to have to step away will resolve itself quickly. While he's gone, yep. Quentin Harris, who is the VP of Player Personnel in Arizona, and also VP of Pro Personnel Adrian Wilson, former yeah. great defensive yeah. back for the Cardinals, they will handle Kime's duties. He's been on the job since 2013 and uh, got an extension along with Cliff Kingsbury earlier this year that runs through 2027. And, and there are times where there's a lot of criticism thrown at Kime. The, uh, the Steve Wilkes lawsuit. He's now obviously the interim head coach of the Panthers, but he was a one-year guy in Arizona. A lot of allegations that, you know, Kime was suspended that year after a DUI situation. And there was, you know, no consequence for that. Steve Wilkes was the one who was hung out to dry here with the whole, it's on you. It's not on the GM. It's on you. Yeah. You're, you're the one responsible for this disastrous season, even though you don't have the support of a front office during training camp. There was a weird and, look. And everything that I goes bad that. is being blamed on right. you. So, so there's been a lot of that push. Like, why doesn't Kime get more scrutiny? I think somebody else recently made that point, and I can't remember who, that, hey, if, if they're going to, start holding people accountable in Arizona. Why doesn't it start there? But again, that's for another day for now. Kime on a leave of absence. And he's done a good job. And, uh, and, and Hey, they, I mean, they're relevant for like the last 10 years. 
they, they've had they had a dip. Yeah, Look, they had Carson Palmer kind of fall into their laps. Right. That made them finally relevant post Kurt Warner. Yeah. And then post Carson Palmer, they were you know a few years kind of, of figuring like, them out. And, uh, right. They they used a top ten pick on Josh Rosen, and then they fall into the Kyler Murray situation. And again, they've got a quarterback that makes them relevant. They have a coach that they think works well with that quarterback. And now, obviously, they're at a crossroads or just in a weird spot with Kyler Murray's injury. But uh, back to the original point, we wish Steve Kahn the best as That's he works right. through this situation. Whatever the health reason is, he can be back for the offseason. They need him because once the season ends, Chris, you know how it goes. you got to figure out which of your free agents you're going to keep. you got to finalize your draft board and do all your scouting there. you got to figure out which free agents you're going to pursue. And the extra wrinkle for the Cardinals this year, what are we going to do at quarterback to have somebody ready to go in the event that Kyler Murray isn't able to come back from this torn ACL by week one, by week two, by week 10. We don't know. We got to have somebody who can play that we have faith in while we go into this indefinite period of Kyler Murray not being available while he recovers from that torn ACL. So it's, it's a, it's just a strange time for a team that was flying very high. No pun intended last year, 10 and two at one point, boy, it has been a rocky 12 months since then. And it's going to continue. Yeah, it, 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 that's right. And, hey, our thoughts are out for, for Steve Kime, and, you know, hopefully he can get this, you know, part of his life in order and, and, and move on, and uh, we're thinking about him. So that's uh, good luck to him and his family. All right, let's take a break. When we return, Zach Wilson, he's not back, but he's moving in that direction. We'll discuss on this Thursday edition of Pro Football Talk Live. 